Good afternoon, and welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Do you want to help make the world a better place but don't know where to start? Join us as we explore the possibilities on today's show with inspiring guests, uplifting music, and new ideas. So, let's get started. Here are your hosts, Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead. Welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. I'm your host, Lorianne Rising. And I'm Mark Olmstead, your other host. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old adage that says, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Today's guest was on our show not too long ago, talking about how he's building community through online karaoke. After the show, though, we got to chatting and discovered that he's a man who has a direct connection to a part of American history we rarely talk about, but definitely need to remember. Toby Asai Loftus works in IT and has performed in the Newport Symphony for over 15 years. He's a third-generation Japanese-American. His mother, Mitzi Asai Loftus, and her entire family were unconstitutionally incarcerated for three years during World War II, except for four brothers who served in the U.S. Armed Forces in the Pacific Theater. Ms. Loftus was in her fourth through sixth grade during the incarceration. She is now 87 and has written a memoir about her family's experience and has given talks for decades on this subject. Toby has assisted her in many of the talks, as well as giving presentations of his own. He recently made two trips to Japan with his mother, which he blogged about extensively, including his own Japanese family history that he learned about during these trips. Welcome, Welcome Toby. Toby. Welcome back, actually. Yes, Thank exactly. you so much for coming back, and, uh, and I'm really excited about having this conversation. Thank you. It's very good to be back. I imagine in some ways, I mean, does it feel like it takes courage to have these conversations? I mean, these are things we don't typically talk about, and it, there's a part of me that feels like I'm sort of prying to ask about family history, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It doesn't, for me personally, uh, feel like it takes courage to have these conversations. I am delighted to share the story of my mom's family and of thousands, tens of thousands of others. I think it takes courage for a society, for a country, to confront its darker uh, chapters. It's easy for us to talk about the wonderful things that we have done, the great accomplishments, inventions, and, and achievements. It's harder to acknowledge the darker side of our of ourselves as a country and as a society and as for us in, as individuals. But I think it's important to acknowledge that there's always that darkness there, fear, um, uh, you know, hatred, anger. That is a part of who we are as individuals and as part of us as a country. And the less we acknowledge it, I believe, the more likely uh, we may uh, fall victim to it and fall prey to our darker sides. So I'm it's very almost, happy to share that information, and thank I'm you. grateful for people who showed the interest in it. Very much appreciate you. your uh, your willingness. And it's it, it sounds like it would almost be more of a responsibility almost uh, to to be sharing once you've had these kinds of experiences and and continue caring about about our fellow man. Um, but it, to to get into it a little bit, I know you've got a lot of, of of things to share with this. But I understand your grandparents immigrated to the U.S. Can you briefly describe your grandparents' arrival and life up to World War II? Certainly. My grandfather um, arrived in the United States in 1904. 
um, many Japanese bachelors came to the country around the turn of the century. Many of them planned to come earn money and go back to Japan. Uh, they worked on the railroad. My, my grandfather worked on the railroad like many Chinese workers did. But I don't think he ever intended to return to Japan. He was the second son, so he was not going to inherit any family business. So he came to America, worked on the railroad, and as they were coming through the Columbia River Gorge, he saw a beautiful Mount Hood and thought this would be a nice place to live. He got settled there. He didn't know anything about raising fruit. He was a rice farmer. Um, and after he had earned enough money to get a little land, he wrote to his mom, said, I'm ready to marry. She sent him three, four, five pictures of eligible brides. He chose one. She came over on a boat with 40 picture brides. They were married. They were lived together, were married for over 50 years, had eight children, seven of whom he delivered himself from home. They lived through the darkest chapter in American history for Japanese Americans. Um, mom is the youngest of eight kids. She and her sister are the only two that are still alive of those eight kids. I'm the youngest of three with a nine-year spread. So my grandmother died a year before I was born, and my grandfather died a year after I was born. So I unfortunately never got to know them personally. But because of uh, my mom's writings and talks and relatives that who, with whom I've spoken, I have great admiration, respect, and, and uh, gratitude to my grandparents and what they suffered and persevered and uh, succeeded in their lives. What kind of work was your grandfather doing at the time, or for the most part? Do you remember? Or did you uh, in the United States? Yes. So he came over with very little money, didn't speak English, and I don't know how he got to working on the railroad, but he was a very hard worker, and he helped build the railroad. Mm -hmm. When he saw Hood River and decided that's where he wanted to live, he knew nothing about raising fruit. He, he became an orchardist. And so for, I don't know, several years, he lived with and worked for uh, a Caucasian couple that had fruit orchards, learned how to raise fruit until he earned enough money to get a plot of what my mom would say, really substandard land up on a hill that only a fool or a Japanese fellow would attempt to grow on cleared the stumps with mule and dynamite, built a road up to this place. Um, and I guess the house that he built had you know, cracks in the wall. Uh, ice would form in the winter on the inside of the wall. Um, six or seven of the children were born in that house. My mom was born in the new house, which uh, one of my cousins still owns. Wow. Do you recall what year that was, just to kind of give us an idea of what era we're talking about? So my grandfather came over in 1904, and I believe my grandmother came over as a picture bride in 1911, I believe. Okay. So, and I think they had their first kids within, within a year or two of that. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like that was pretty much their life until about World War II, which I understand is a fairly significant turning point. Uh, and it, from what I was reading, it looks like Pearl Harbor in particular. Can you share a bit about that? Certainly. Um, at the time, just uh, at the time of Pearl Harbor, two of my uncles were already serving in the armed forces. Uh, my uncle, we called him Half. His name was Masa Aki, but everybody called him Half, short for half pipe because he was so short. He had enlisted in like June of that year. He was underage and had to have parental uh, signature 
in order to join. And my grandfather says, well, I'm not sure if I want to sign this. And Hap was so stubborn. He said, well, if you don't sign it, I'm going to forge your signature. So my grandfather for, uh, signed it and my uncle Hap joined the service. My uncle Tot, I believe, was drafted the week before Pearl Harbor. So two of my uncles were already in the service. And on uh, December 7th, uh, my grandfather was downtown in Hood River, uh, in a in a uh, preparing for a um, a fundraiser event that they wanted to raise money for a indoor plumbing flush toilet for the, the Japanese American Community Center, and the sheriff and his posse ran him out of town. He couldn't he he didn't know what had happened. The rest of the family was at home and had heard the news of the bombing on the radio. And so when he got home, he was all flustered. He didn't know what was going on. They told him what had happened. And mom says that the realization just came over his face like, oh, oh, this is okay. And, you know, for my mom, who was a fourth grade girl, she, you know, the week before, I think, uh, I think December 7th was a Saturday or I think it was a Sunday. So the week before, mom was teacher's pet. She had friends in class. Everything was great. And on the Monday, uh, nobody would speak to her. She was spat upon and called a dirty yellow Jap. Wow. Um, February 19th is uh, recognized as Day of Remembrance by those in the Japanese-American community and those who follow history and uh, believe in the importance of civil liberties. It was on December, February 19th that uh, FDR signed Executive Order 9066. And the executive order basically gave the U.S. Armed Forces the right to designate uh, security areas from which people could be excluded. And what they did was they basically uh, chose the entire West Coast as exclusion zone one from which Japanese Americans would have to be uh, excluded. Now, if you look at the Executive Order 9066, it makes no reference to race or national origin. It says... The military commander may determine from which any or all persons may be excluded. Doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not. Doesn't matter what race or language or religion. Any or all persons. Now, it was intended for Japanese Americans. Didn't say it. It was only used against Japanese Americans. And nearly 120,000 people were forced from their homes from the West Coast into Godforsaken, ramshackle, thrown together, uh, what are sometimes called camps, internment camps, a term that I would reject, but we'll talk about that, for three plus years. Now, that was in on 1942. Any idea when that executive order was rescinded? Honestly, 10, I don't. Years? I when, don't know. Probably last year. <laughs> Has it been? 1976 by President Ford. Mm. So up until 1976, the U.S. Armed Forces had the right to say, um, Not the you. state of Iowa, mm-hmm. all Methodists have to leave. Um, the West Coast of Connecticut, anybody who is of Italian descent has to leave. That executive order lasted until 1976. Wow. wow. And so that is why December, uh, February 19th, Day of Remembrance is so important to us in, this, in the Japanese-American community and those who appreciate history and civil liberties. Wow. Mm. 
So what what does your mom remember about, I mean, fourth grade, I have some memories, but nothing historical really happened. So nothing really stands out necessarily. But that's a pretty formative age for children, fourth to sixth grade. What what does she remember? Uh, that just that would be just tr- so traumatizing. Hmm. Well, that's an excellent question. And I think that brings to light the difference in experience depending on what age you were. So as a grade school girl, when they were forced to leave Hood River, they were forced onto trains and she was excited. She'd never been on a train ride before. So this is fun, exciting. She didn't know what was going on. Then they got on the trains and they were forced to close the, dr- the blinds. And there were soldiers at each end of each car with bayonets. And so that wasn't very fun. And when they got to the quote-unquote camps, she actually had a good time. At home in Hood River, she'd have to walk a mile, mile and a half to school. There were no play dates because you know, they were always working in the, in the fruit orchards when they weren't in school. In camp, she had all these kids she could play with. So she had a good time. She had no idea what was going on in the greater world. Her older siblings in high school, they had no idea what was going to happen. What happens when I graduate? Where will we go? Will we have a home to go to? My grandparents, of course, were worried sick about their sons serving in the uh, armed forces. Are they going to live? Will they be killed or maimed? Will we have a home to go home to? So mom's experience of the so-called evacuation, another euphemism, and the camps was actually not bad. Her negative experience was coming home after the camps and the racism and social isolation exclusion that she felt after she came back to Hood River. But Mm -hmm. if you talk to my older aunt or my my deceased aunts and uncles and my grandparents, of course, their experience of the removal from home, the forced uh, incarceration would be very different. One memory my mom remembers was um, when they first left Hood River, I'm going to use the the terms that I reject. Internment camps weren't ready. There were 120,000 people to house and the camps were not ready yet. So they first were sent to another euphemism, Assembly centers. Assembly centers were old abandoned uh, army barracks, fairgrounds, horse stalls in racetracks, the Santa Anita racetrack. And fortunately, my family was not in the Santa Anita racetrack. They were in uh, Fresno in an old barracks. And my mom remembers at night, a searchlight would go across the camp. And the searchlight was so bright that even with her eyes closed, she could see that light go through past her face. And after they were moved from that assembly center to an internment camp, she still had trouble sleeping at night because even though there was no searchlight going across her eyes, she still could remember. She would count one, two, three, four, five, six, flash. One, two, three, four, five, six, flash. And that trauma of that experience stayed with her after they left the initial assembly center. So am I hearing you correctly that they were living in Hood River in Oregon and transported to Fresno, California? Yes. So, and I think there's another historical point I should make. My grandparents lived peacefully and legally for 30 years before Pearl Harbor, but they were not citizens. Anti-Asian racist laws prevented them from becoming naturalized citizens. Anti-Asian sentiment started in the uh, 18th century, first against the Chinese, then Japanese and Filipinos. So my, my grandparents, even though they were legal aliens, 
were not citizens. They could not become citizens until they were like in their 60s or 70s. And by then, they never became citizens. My mom and all of her siblings were U.S. citizens by birth because they were born in the United States. Now, communities where there are Japanese Americans along the West Coast, signs went up saying people of Japanese uh, American ancestry must assemble at some place within X number of days. You could only take what you could carry. No pets. So the people were selling things off, fire sales. People were, of course, gouged and uh, swindled out of uh, cars and homes. They leased their farms. They leased their homes. Hoping, you know, They didn't know if they are going to be gone for a, a week, a month, a year, or multiple years. Um, my mom's family got, uh, got on a train and were shipped down. They had no idea where they were going to Fresno, California, and were there for, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe two, three, or four months. After their first camp was constructed, they were then uh, sent to Tule Lake, which is just south of the Oregon borders, just south of Klamath Falls on the California side. Tule Lake was one of the about 11 so-called internment camps or uh, relocation centers. Again, many euphemisms. I would call it an incarceration camp or more controversially, a concentration camp. Many people reject that term, and I understand the discomfort because obviously I want to pay respect to my Jewish uh, brothers and sisters and friends. But if you look up the definition of concentration camp, uh, these internment centers or camps fit the definition. Mm -hmm. They were in Tule Lake for about a year. And then for another story I could go into, they were transferred to uh, Heart Lake, uh, Heart Mountain, which is outside of Cody, Wyoming, for another two years. So they wow. were moved thousands of miles back and forth without their yes. consent. Well, Man. Tule Lake is an interesting story because when people who know about this history found out that my family was in Tule Lake, they're like, oh, because Tule Lake became the worst of the worst. Um, about a year into the incarceration, the government and the military said, you know, it's costing us an awful lot of money to house and feed 120,000 incarcerates. We know some of them are loyal, and we need to draft the able-bodied men, but we don't know who's loyal. So they came up with a loyalty questionnaire. Everybody over 18 had to sign it, and it had a bunch of questions. But the most important questions were, I think, questions number 21 and 22. The first one was basically, are you willing to serve in combat anywhere we, sent, we would send you? which would be an interesting question to ask my grandfather since he could not become a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. And the second question was, do you swear unconditional allegiance to the United States of America and forswear allegiance to the emperor of Japan or any foreign nation or organization? Hmm. Now, what does forswear mean? It means to remove or to mm-hmm. uh, take back. So, of course, the loyal answer to that, both questions is yes, yes, I will serve anywhere you send me, and yes, I, I, I pledge unconditional allegiance to the United States of America. But if you answered yes to that second question, it could be interpreted that you previously swore allegiance to the Emperor of Japan. Now, my grandparents and family had no allegiance to Japan or the Japanese emperor, and you know, people had been forced from their homes. Many people were insulted by these questions. Mm-hmm. It's like, why should I swear allegiance to the United States of America? I know my rights. I know the Constitution. 
obviously my rights do not mean much, so why the heck should I uh, pledge allegiance to this, this country that has incarcerated me? My grandfather, my mom says, was a, a wise Zen Buddhist, and he said, this is not a time to be proud. And he answered yes, yes to both questions. And apparently, anybody who answered no, they were called yes, no's, or no, yeses, or no, no's, were called in and they were try they tried to persuade them to change their qu answers to yes. Hmm. Now the yes yeses from Tule Lake were transferred out of Tule Lake. And the no nos from all the other camps were brought into Tule Lake. Hmm. So you can imagine after that transfer, Tule Lake became a hotbed of protest, mm -hmm. of uh, uprisings, of revolt. They built extra watchtowers. They brought in tanks, extra military police. There was a stockade with torture. The walls still stand there. And so when people find out my family's in Tule Lake, they're like, oh, you had it bad. For Thank goodness for the wisdom of my grandfather. He answered yes, yes on that. And my family was transferred out of Tule Lake to Heart Mountain mm. and avoided the worst um, deprivations of Tule Lake. Wow. So the manipulation and... It just was continuing, even within the incarceration. Now, you mentioned the the, um, the internment camp being one of the the terms that that you uh, reject. <laughs> you reject. What other what other terms uh, do you reject? Uh, you mentioned, and why? I'll go through them all. Okay. Um, and I've written a blog article on this, and I'm not the first person to talk about this. First were the assembly centers. These were the temporary camps people were forced into while the more permanent camps were built. Tens of thousands of Americans were forced from their homes into these quote-unquote assembly centers. Now, I don't know about you. When I hear assembly, I think of high school assemblies. I mm -hmm. think of volunteer uh, meetings and groups. Mm -hmm. This was not voluntary. I would suggest instead of that, a temporary detention center or a temporary prison camp. These had barbed wire fences around them, search, wire, search lights, and uh, guard, armed guards with bayonets and rifles. The term that is used for the tens of thousands, the 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry is often called an evacuee, and the process was an evacuation or a relocation. Now, for me, the word evacuation typically means uh, escaping a natural disaster like a flood or a hurricane or uh, a war or something like that, something to remove oneself from a bad situation for your safety. This was not voluntary. This was forced. And so I suggest instead of an evacuee, an inmate, a prisoner, or an incarcerate, and for the evacuation, I would say uh, mandatory or forced removal, banishment, eviction, or exile. I'm really kind of wanting to, to tie this in and make sure that this isn't being lost on our... Uh... On, on anyone about the significance of where we are today, but for, but for the moment, so we'll get back to that when we come back, but we need to take a short break. Uh, but before we do, I want to thank our listeners for being here and for this important conversation, but we also, if you could take a moment, please, to review us on your favorite listening platform and let us help our future listeners know exactly what you appreciate most about the show so that we can keep doing more of it. So if you can go and give us a, a Whatever rating you hope, and I, we would of course star. love to have a five star rating, but if it and it only takes a minute, so please take a moment and uh, whatever listening platform you're on, 
uh, give us that rating and we'd really appreciate it so much. And we'll be right back with more with Toby. And actually coming up after the break, yes. we're going to be here hearing a spoken word musical performance by Toby called How Could I Forget based on his mom's memoir. And so, he's going to be playing it live right here with us. Absolutely. So stay tuned right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In our changing world, how can you protect the self-esteem, confidence, and dreams of the children you love in just five minutes a day, even from a distance? To learn more about Uncle Mark's best indie book award-winning kids book, his music, and resources to support families, visit truesunbeam.com. And if you're an author or musician with a similar mission, learn how to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. Visit Uncle Mark at truesunbeam.com. Are you a woman who's tired of staying silent and people-pleasing at the expense of your own health, wealth, and happiness? Discover the roadmap to self-confidence and freedom in Laurieann Rising's international award-winning book, You, Rising, Reclaim Your Life, Live Your Purpose. And if you're an author whose nonfiction or memoir makes a powerful difference, you're invited to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. For books, resources, and show details, visit laurieannrising.com. You're listening to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. To reach the show live, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send us an email to share the love at riseandshineis1.com. Now, back to Rise and Shine. Welcome back. You're listening to Rise and Shine. And here's Toby sharing, how could I forget? Before you start, Toby, would you briefly share the inspiration behind this piece? Certainly. Um, as I mentioned before, my mom was just a grade school girl during the incarceration. During the incarceration, she had lots of kids to play with in the camp, so she actually had a pretty good time. What was difficult for her was after they were released from the camps and came home, Nobody would play with her. Teachers wouldn't speak to her. She was socially isolated and suffered terribly. Um, this piece, How Could I Forget, is an excerpt from my mother's book about that period and about one of the worst, worst experiences that uh, she experienced. And I uh, basically interspersed the words from her book with music that I composed. So this is... How could I forget? I was the first to re-enter any elementary school in Hood River. Each day I walked the distance from to, to school and back home alone. How painful it was for me to have no one to play with before and after school and during recesses and lunch hour. How much more painful it was to walk home alone, that long mile and a quarter 
day after day for nearly a year. The day that May Vernon chose to walk home with me was a day of sunshine in all ways. But my joy was soon marred. As we walked together up Markham Lane, misfortune of all misfortunes, I could see Mrs. Bettsworth coming down the road towards us. Mrs. Bettsworth lived halfway between my house and the store. For almost a year now, I had to pass by her house morning and evening on my way to and from school, bearing insults and verbal abuse that she hurled at me regularly. Go back where you came from, you dirty Jap. And where was that? Or go home, dirty yellow Jap, were the usual greetings. Her house set back from the road, and there was a deep ditch beside the road. Tall weeds grew between the house and the ditch. I tried everything to avoid confronting her on my daily walks to and from school. I tried to sneak quietly by, walk in the ditch behind the tall weeds so as not to be seen. But nothing worked. I'm sure she watched the clock and waited for me, for she was always there to yell at me as I went by. Worst of all, she would sick her dog at me. I would always turn my head away from the dog when it came running toward me, snarling, growling, curling up its lip and showing its teeth. Through hundred percent effort of will and mind, I put one foot ahead of the other, touching heel to toe, heel to toe. The dog never bit me, but when its cold, wet nose touched my leg more than once, it was like an electric shock. Almost worse than being bitten. 
tears rolled down my cheeks, either from fear of being bitten or from relief at not being bitten. I don't know which. Sometimes I actually wish the dog would bite me and get it over with. The agony of anticipation of the worst is as painful as the worst result itself. As May and I walked up the road and got closer to Mrs. Betsworth, I saw Mrs. Betsworth put her hands on her hips and say to May, Why, May Vernon, I thought you had more respect than to walk with a dirty yellow jap. May opened her mouth to make a reply, but nothing came out. Her face merely turned red hot with anger, and she began to shake all over. Finally, she yelled at me to come back. Come to my house. We'll tell my parents, and they'll fix Mrs. Betsworth. I waved and went home, for I knew what May didn't seem to know, that her father had refused to serve or help the Japanese in his work as a mechanic, and her mother, a teacher in our school, had never been friendly to me. May's family had been buying butter, eggs, milk, etc. from Mrs. Betsworth. They stopped doing so and told Mrs. Betsworth that the reason was her treatment of May and me. The Vernons then went to Mrs. Betsworth's church, which was my church too, to report this incident. Subsequently, a group of persons from the church, some of whom no doubt were persons who had never spoken to me in church, paid Mrs. Betsworth a visit and reprimanded her for her behavior. After this church visitation, Mrs. Betsworth no longer yelled at me, nor sent her dog after me. But she walked to the road with her dog anyway. With her arms crossed, she watched me silently, as I walked by each day, as if to say, All right, you've won. I can't yell at you, nor send my dog after you. But that doesn't stop me from coming out to the road to glare at you as you go by. I didn't care at all, however, for the thought of the dogs not being told to sick him was enough to make my days beautiful. About 30 years after this, I made a special effort to locate May Vernon, 
I asked if she remembered the first day she walked home with me. She replied, how could I forget? That is just powerful. Mm, incredible. Thank so you, really. Toby. Thank you. There is an epilogue to that story, which I might add in. Uh, Mae Vernon was, I think, a couple years younger than my mother. Um, and she died in the early 2000s. Um, my mom got a call from one of her children uh, to let mom know that Mae had passed. And... My, I don't think my mom knew her children at all, but from the stories or the way that the child was uh, telling, talking to mom, it was clear to her mom that this story was often retold in the Vernon or in May's home. Mm-hmm. And so for me, this story is important, not just because it reminds us of the, the hatred and the mistreatment of my mother, but to remember that story and how it's been shared in my family and in May's family, and now with you, about what we can do for those who are being mistreated. Which is exactly where we are once again today, it seems, uh, as we look around the world and we see what's going on in Mexico and we see what's happening in, in other countries as well. And it's, it's astounding that it seems we are... <laughs> able to repeat this same the same kind of atrocity in this day and age I, I am i'm really excited though that we get to end this program with the words of your mother and i want want people to to uh stay tuned stay for tuned that. for that here uh but uh, I, I i also don't want to forget where we were before and um and get back to the uh the euphemisms we were discussing before the break and uh, and to kind of complete that conversation before we well we've still got some time here and 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 thank you again for the music that that's just oh, the, that the, powerful. The, the powerful the 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 combination of that and the simplicity and it's it's just is just absolutely evident so thank you so much for doing that Toby yeah and we and we've never had somebody from a, an actual orchestra symphony play on our show before exactly. <laughs> oh man oh You're man that was amazing absolutely wonderful <laughs> and so powerfully put together so thank you so thank yeah. you for de- that debut <laughs> exactly so i know we were talking about the euphemisms and you explained the difference you know in terms of internment camp versus the incarceration and you know the assembly center uh, and there were several others you were starting to get what, to as well. We wanted to yeah. to give you the chance to include. What else do we have to learn here? Yes, definitely. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, next is the term alien. 
Now, alien has a legal definition, and that is a person, obviously, who is not a citizen. But in the context of the Japanese-American incarceration, as I mentioned before, my grandparents had lived peacefully and legally as resident aliens for over 30 years before Pearl Harbor because they could not become citizens. So merely calling them aliens ignores that fact. Now, to add insult to injury, on the, pla on the, on the posters that were... Uh, that were uh, announcing that, that people of Japanese-American ancestry needed to, uh, to leave, they referred to non-aliens and non-aliens. What mm. is a non-alien? Right. A citizen. So rather than saying, okay, well, first you're referring to my grandparents who are aliens because they have no choice. They can't become citizens. And now you're referring to my mom and her brothers and sisters who are citizens by birth as non-aliens. How insulting, how, more, how much more insulting uh, can, can you be? So, yes, take a close look at the, uh, any uh, images you can find of these announcements, and you will see aliens and non-aliens. Well, and that erases their standing, and you know, just, exactly. it erases so much. Yes. So 120,000 persons of Japanese ancestry Two-thirds of those people were U.S. citizens by birth, like my, like my mom and her siblings. Some of them were already serving in the armed forces, like my uncles. So to say a non-alien is to insult the, the legal uh, status of being a U.S. citizen. Well, and I think it highlights the importance of the language we use exactly. in, in order to somehow make it okay or more tolerable <clears throat> to do really awful things. It's like as long as there's a piece Absolutely. of paper behind what we say or what's being done, then nobody yeah. actually physically has to take responsibility for it. They can just say, oh, hey, yeah. it says right here. There's a famous quote from one of the former Nazi higher-ups. I can't remember if it was Goebbels or whomever talking about Amtssprache which in German is like uh, official or business language. You can mm -hmm. do atrocities if you couch them in, in terms that, are, are, that minimize a person's humanity, mm -hmm. which is a perfect segue in the next, next couple of terms, internment and internees. Internment is still pretty much the common term refer, that refers to this experience. Internment camps, internment. Internment has a legal definition, and internment ignores the fact that my grandparents could not become U.S. citizens. So you can say, well, they were aliens. They weren't citizens. We can lock them up. Well, they couldn't become citizens. So instead of internment, I say incarceration or imprisonment. And for internees, like my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, my mom, prisoner, incarcerate, or inmate. Now we get to the big one, relocation center or internment camp. They are officially called relocation centers, but most people call them camps or internment camps, including people who survived that experience. There is a generational divide. Internment camps, an internment camp typically refers to an enemy combatant. It doesn't recall, I mean, 120,000 people, there were no charges, there was no trial, there was no there were zero cases of sabotage and espionage in amongst Japanese Americans. We can't say that about 
German Americans or Italian Americans. There were people who collaborated, um, but there were zero cases. And in fact, during the argument in in favor of this action, it was said there have been zero cases of sabotage and espionage. So we got to lock them up before it's going to happen because we just know it's going to happen. That was actually an argument that was put forward. So what should we use instead of the term internment camp? I typically call them incarceration camps, but some refer to them as concentration camps. I will sometimes use that term, but there is an understandable discomfort with that term because we don't want to compare our experience with the Holocaust and the extermination camps of Nazi Germany. Right. That being said, there have been concentration camps prior to World War II, and there have been concentration camps after World War II that were not death or genocide or, or, uh, or extermination camps. And I think by saying that you can only use the term concentration camp for the Nazi experience in, in the Holocaust risks downplaying or ignoring the real experiences of forced incarceration of mass groups of people here and elsewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, now, so what, what has it really meant to you and your family to know and learn this history? And what do you want us to be taking away from it? I've known this history since I was a kindergartner. And I used to get righteously indignant and angry about the mistreatment of my mom and her family. Then I learned other dark chapters of American history. I read Black Like Me. I read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. And later I read uh, A Person's uh, History of the United States. There are many very dark chapters in our country and, of course, elsewhere. And I think it's very important to remember. It's, 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 there are many people who never even have heard this history. It's, it's more common now, but um, unless you lived on the West Coast or grew up in the West Coast, you may not have ever even learned that this happened. Mm-hmm. Now there may be a sentence or a chapter in a high school textbook, but it still is surprisingly unknown. And my mom is a grade school girl during the time. She's going to turn 88 in June. She's in very good health. But the number of people who experience this firsthand is fast declining. When I, go to talk, when I give talks about this, and I've talked to uh, high school and junior high kids, and I've talked to adults, um, I'll give my, my kind of closing statement, and then I will let my mom speak for herself. I want people to take two things away from this. One, interview your parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. I never got to know my grandparents because they died about the time I was born. But I know what they did and and who they were through stories my mom has collected and speaking with relatives. There are so many questions I wish I had asked my uncles before before they died, but I was too young. It's so easy. You have a cell phone. You can video somebody. You can record their voice. And ask them and be persistent. Some people are like, oh, it wasn't that interesting. It wasn't that important. No, even the mundane day-to-day life of your parents and grandparents will be interesting. And after they're gone, you will be so grateful to have a recording of their voice and, and maybe video of them speaking. So please interview your parents and grandparents and uh, elders. The second is... Speak up and stand up for what you know is right. I know that grade school kids and junior high and high school kids 
know what's right and wrong. I trust their judgment. So if you see an individual being mistreated, speak up. If you see a group being mistreated, speak up. Speak up. Don't let anybody tell you that your voice and your opinion does not matter. It does. My mom's family could count on their hand, on one hand, the number of families that helped them during the worst years after the war. And those people will never be forgotten. I have cousins who are named after some of those people because it was, it was that bad. It was that desperate. So speak up. Stand up and speak up for what is right. It is easy to be silent and to not, not do so. But those who do, you, you cannot know how big of an impact you can make by speaking up for somebody who needs it. Wow. I as, got goosebumps. as you are doing today and, exactly. and as you're being an example of for all of us, Toby, and as your mother has done, and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that we were able to find her clip and, uh, and conclude our show with, with her words mm-hmm. today here. So this is my mom speaking from uh, 2015 at the conclusion of one of the talks she gave. So my, my message is always, especially when I speak to high school kids, I say, it is not Mrs. Betsworth and the dog that hurt me. It's the good people who knew when something was right and never said anything, never did anything. There were many people who befriended us in private when there was nobody else around except you and me. But if they saw you the next day in town, in public, they didn't recognize you. So that's what most people do. And I'm saying the reason I give these talks is to tell you, you need to change your ways. Wow, such powerful words. Absolutely. So what is the name of her memoir, real quick, before we sign off? So my mom's book is called Made in Japan, Settled in Oregon by Mitzi Asai Loftus. Unfortunately, it is not easy to find. Um, You can't buy it online. You can buy it directly from her. Um, She has quite a few copies, and they're not that expensive. So for anybody who is interested in getting a copy of it, um, you can contact me. Um, I will have her send you a copy. My b- oldest brother and I are working on a new release of it, but because of the pandemic, that's been a bit delayed. Uh, yeah. But right now, the only way to get it is from my mom. If you go on Amazon, occasionally you'll see a used copy that's overpriced. Mm-hmm. Um, contact me, and I will put you in touch with mom, and she'll be delighted to send you a signed copy. And what is your uh, yeah. email address then for people is it best to reach or, you? Or at least a, or a, with a blog. How, how best do you want people to reach you? Yes. Um, why, don't, uh, why don't you contact me through my blog, um, which is Toby Loftus, T-O-B-Y-L-O-F-T-U-S, dot wordpress.com. There is also an excellent blog post there uh, called February 19th, Day of Remembrance. Um, that one has a bunch of links, including links to YouTube videos of talks that my mother and I have made, uh, photos, historical photos, both um, public domain and also specifically of my family, a map showing the path that my family made, clips to uh, short videos and animated clips, as well as recommended books on the topic. 
Wonderful. Very we'll good. make that sure was... that link is available for everybody. And uh, I think you're going to get an email from me too, actually. <laughs> I would love a copy of that. But man, Toby, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing so much. I feel like we barely touched the tip of the iceberg. So well, I, and just I, I just really, really want to very much acknowledge and appreciate your, your introducing music and its power into this message and and sharing that with us today with your uh, your viola and expertise yes and uh, and and being our debut orchestral <laughs> performer <Our> professional <laughs> yes that well, was wonderful thank yes. you so thank much thank you so Toby. much Toby. my pleasure i'm i'm very grateful for your interest in this and i'm grateful for to anybody who has interest in learning more about this very important history. It's, it's always relevant. It's especially relevant today. So thank you for your interest. Awesome. Absolutely. Before we go, we want to remind you that Mark and I are on a mission to create a world that works for everyone and uplift voices that aren't typically heard. So if you or someone you know is an author, musician, or innovator, who's challenging old paradigms and opening hearts and minds, we want to hear about it. Let us help you reach our worldwide audience. Just visit riseandshineasone.com to learn more. We've had so much fun today, and we hope you have too. To continue to create shows like this, we need your support. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. It's easy. Just visit our website at riseandshineas1.com and use the links on the contact us page to find, like, and follow us. While you're there, click on fan club to access premium content, music, videos, extended interviews, and more that we don't share anywhere else. All proceeds raised by your membership go directly to creating great content for you and your family. Until next week, wherever you are, there's always time. But remembering to rise, rise and shine. shine. <laughs>Thank you for listening to Rise and Shine. Please join Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead for another great show next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, keep rising and shining. 